This is the Jason Kavnis Experience, hosted by Jason Kavnis. Join Jason as he talks to small business owners and startup founders and other interesting people as we gain great insights about business, people, leadership, HR, and how each guest strives to be great every day. Hello, and welcome to Jason Kavnis Experience. I'm your host, Jason Kavnis. The Jason Cabinet Experience is brought to you by Cabinet HR. At Cabinet HR, we deliver HR to companies with 49 or fewer people. Cabinet HR, focus on your business. We've got your HR. Our guests today are Shrev and Candace of People Runway. Are you ready to be great today? Yes. yes. The two of them founded People Runway to support startups going through transformation and to work with companies to build a culture, people roadmap, and people processes. This includes career paths performance management, manager leadership development, diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives, and HR infrastructure. They were both founding members of Google's people operations team and helped scale Google Teams, offices, and processes during periods of high growth and change. Thank you too for being here today. I really appreciate it. Thank you for Thank having you. us, Jason. So talk about the process of, you know, going from Google to being involved with HR for startups. I mean, it has to be a pretty monumental shift, I would think. Yeah. So, you know, interestingly, we both started at Google early on, around 2004, 2005. And so those, these were a time of significant growth and change. Um, and so we were able to jump in pretty early and build a lot of things from scratch. So when we started to work with startups, I, th I think we really missed that opportunity to put in really strong processes, build the right DNA, the right pr blueprints to really inform the company culture. So you know, although we both left Google at a time when it was pretty large, we were there early on and really helping formulate some of the, the earlier components of, of the people operations. Yeah, and, and to add them, I think one of the reasons both of us were motivated um, uh, to leave was to be able to take what we learned to other places and to help, um, you know, the employee experience and make work better and you know, focus on culture early because we saw that at Google and we saw how that sort of scaled as Google grew. So we were really passionate about doing that for others as well. So Google is the attitude they're now like, we're Google, we're a corporate powerhouse on the lines of Amazon, Apple, or Google's attitude still, no, we're still a startup. We're still a startup. <laughs> Um, so Google is, is very interesting. I think, uh, you know, I, um, I always, um, you know, we, we joke that Google is sort of this as, as an adult that wants to still be, you know, a teenager, um, or, or younger. Um, and that's, you know, some, some of the great parts of being at Google and some of the, the struggles that Google has is how to kind of hold on to that entrepreneurship mentality, that speed, agility, being able to get things done while still being, you know, 100 plus thousand across, you know, globally um, and in so many different businesses. Um, so maintaining those two, those dualities and polarities has been actually one of the things that Google has been able to do and struggles with. And how do you like at Google, you know, Google's known, you know, for having a great culture, how do you keep a great culture? You go from 10 to a hundred to a thousand, hundreds of thousand people. How do you keep that same culture? I mean, how's that even possible? And the culture is in everything that you do, everyone that you bring into the company, every interaction, every decision, every conversation. And so I think a lot of things that Google did well was 
making everyone feel responsible for living and maintaining and sustaining the culture, having very open, transparent processes, you know, weekly company all hands, very broad, open communication where employees were encouraged to hold the leaders accountable, hold each other accountable as well. I think that, you know, it's not one individual. It really needs to exist across the entire organization. So talk about why performance management or whatever else the term you want to use is important for startups. Um, so, I mean, really at the end of the day, organizations want employees to be able to um, be, to bring their full ideas, their full potential to work and really, you know, bring everyone together to achieve the organization's goals and, and, and OKRs, if you use that terminology. Um, and the reality is, is that organizations need to set the, these expectations. You know, what are we trying to achieve as a company? And then what is your spe- specific contribution? So when we talk about performance management with organizations, I think the first place we start is what are the company goals? What are the department goals? What are the individual goals? Like what's expected of that individual? And then how, as a leadership team, as a management team, are you setting those individual up for success so they truly can perform Um, and that be it both the resources be it both the time be it both this upskilling and then if they're not performing how are you holding them accountable Um, you know what are this what is it that's preventing them from from performing is it roadblocks can you help remove those roadblocks is it education is it learning that they need maybe there are other issues maybe at home that might be preventing them or distracting them so looking at it holistically and then ultimately if there are other components maybe they're just disengaged. Maybe they're no longer seeing that fit at the company, making sure that there's a smooth transition there. So it, performance management is not does not take place one week out of the year or two weeks out of the year. It needs to be ongoing through goals, through feedback, through, you know, recontracting those expectations and giving and giving those feedback. Yeah. And if I can add to that, and, you know, I mean, today, in in, in today's context, and I think we would be remiss to sort of not take in what's happening around us in the world today um, in terms of social inequities. And those show up at the workplace and the way we set up our, yes, culture, but the processes that support that culture performance being a very, very key part of that. How are we really equalizing the playing field to be able to recognize performance for all, for, for everyone? People of, you know, different backgrounds came from a different sort of lens, right? And then taking that forward and sort of systematically looking at how are we developing people? How are we giving and receiving feedback? How are we doing promotions? I mean, this, all of this sort of has to kind of um, be borne by that entire sort of cyclical process that Candace was referring to, which is, you know, it's not a week in a, in a year. It's, it's every day. It's in our one-to-ones with our teams. It's in the way we are presenting at, at, at uh, you know, at meetings. It's, it's, it's all the time. And if I may add to that, within the context of COVID-19, what, you know, those goals, those expectations need to be agile and flexible. I mean, the company goals for Q1, Q2 have been, you know, we're talking with clients and they're completely throwing them out the window and they're redefining and restructuring what, what the goals are for two weeks now, for every two weeks or every three weeks. These long-term plans are no longer realistic. So as an organization, having those systems and those conversations in place to be able to, sh- to pivot and shift and adjust and then to be fair to your employees. It's not fair to hold them accountable to goals that are no longer relevant. And so having recontracting those as, as you need in the, in the context. 
And, and, and Jason, you mentioned, you, I mean, you kind of, your, your question was about in the startup space, and that's exactly where it is the most important because often startups have not, you know, they're still sort of new in their evolution, so they may not have gone through something that's similar. For COVID-19, nobody, you know, we, we didn't know that the impact of that. No one's been through it, um, but when similar things have taken place, when, when people have been companies have, to have, have had to move very quickly, agility is really important. That's where these, how we handle these processes and how, how we kind of show up for the employees is, becomes really important, especially in a startup where it's a much, usually a smaller employee base um, and everything is, you know, much more higher, higher resolution. And I was on LinkedIn a few, maybe a few days ago when somebody put on the know what. Everyone who answered the question in 2015 on the job review, where will you be at in 20, 25 years? Everyone's got that, that question wrong, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's so, right. So there's like, like probably hundreds of performance management programs out there from the traditional one, one time a year, which everyone knows wrong, to all that AI stuff out there. Is there one performance management plan or program that you think is like right for startups? Well, I think the the key thing, and this is not just startups, this is everyone, is is performance and feedback needs to be ongoing. It needs to be real time. It needs to be specific. And you know, companies might reach out to us and say, "Hey, can you help us build out a performance management system or process?" You have to have the culture first. You need to have that ongoing components built into everyday conversations, weekly one-on-one meetings, um, team meetings as well, where you're getting feedback from your peers. And what does the ideal performance management system and process look like? It depends on the company, it depends on their goals, and it depends on what they're striving for. But we really encourage companies to start first with building that culture of feedback so that folks feel comfortable at any point giving that feedback. And then if you're wanting to move towards a bit more structure, aligning that performance with with goals and OKRs, what's the appropriate cadence? For some companies, it's quarterly. For other companies, it's every six months. For others, it's once a year. And then, you know, making sure that you're thinking through what are the data points and the entry points. Are you getting peer feedback? Are you getting it from, you know, from clients that you're servicing? So it's really kind of customized by each company. But performance management is hard and you constantly need to tweak and revisit and make sure that you're achieving the goals that you want it to be. It just can't stand alone. It's not one and done. So I'm hearing you say is like, if, if, if your company does not have a, a learning culture already, you don't even waste time performance management to set up your learning culture first, right? Absolutely. So we were talking about startups. What is your two definition of a startup? <laughs> Um, so, uh, I mean, companies that are intending to scale high growth, potentially, um, they may be self-funded or working in partnership with venture capitalists, but they're rolling out a product that they hope can scale to, you know, targeted, targeted audiences, not necessarily small businesses, not necessarily just focused on local, but they really have that scaling aspect to it, to the product and then ultimately through their people. Yeah. And then, I mean, I think there's also the startup mindset, which is around transformation, right? So how do we, how do we move quickly? How do we change? How do we sort of be, be ready to pivot? Um, and how are we constantly making our processes sort of, um, scaling our processes and, and our teams to change and shift with our growth? I think that sort of is something that we also, um, find a lot in, in that startup space. So even before COVID-19, I think there's a shift going towards remote work. But how do you have a remote work team and still have a great culture? Or is that even possible? 
How, how do you have them instead of a great culture? No, or? How, do you, how do you have a remote team and a great culture? How do you do great, Yeah, we're talking with a lot of companies right now. I mean, you're hearing in the news companies that are allowing remote indefinitely for, you know, some of their population, if it makes sense. I mean, there's so many benefits from it, from real estate, um, from flexibility as well. Um, I mean, the key thing is, is that if you have issues internally with your remote or not remote, they're still going to manifest and show up. So building a really good, we talk about having a remote first mindset where that every interaction, every design, be it team decisions, be it goal setting, et cetera, you're thinking about every employee and giving every employee the opportunity to weigh in on those and have an opinion and perspective on those. So being more comfortable with working asynchronously, not um, having you know specific time zones, a time where everyone has to be on at the same time eight to five, providing that flexibility because individuals may need that flexibility given their, their home environment or even the time zone that they're working in. You know, building in really clear team norms. So if you're on a on a Zoom call, you don't have one person that's dominating the conversation. You know, people can raise their hands through chat. Um, you're constantly looking at the chatter feed and making sure that you're answering questions, making sure that everyone's included in the conversation. There's there's research that shows that women are less likely to interrupt a conversation and that's man that it's exacerbated on video calls as well. So how do you make sure that every voice is heard and included? So there's just, there's a number of things that you need to do to to put those processes in place that can sustain and maybe even enhance your culture. There are some opportunities where remote first has so many benefits to it. It doesn't have to be either or it could really be a value add. Yeah, and and intention, intention, intentionality is key. I think um, whether it's remote or in person, right? I think a lot of companies think that oh, culture is it'll evolve naturally and organically, um, and it does, right? And it does, uh, but having uh, but having the intention to really sort of stop and think, but what is the culture that I want for for us, for all of us, and kind of and put in you know um, norms and milestones to kind of watch that grow. Um, I think is important and you know the same thing translates into when you're when you're already remote or you're going remote or you're growing in general right how do we translate or scale our culture when not everyone is in a small space together now also you know just shifting our definition of work sometimes the perception is is that work means that you are in the office and you are at your desk working and ultimately you know isn't it about the business goals that you're trying to achieve and the okrs you're trying to achieve and really shifting it on an outcome based format so what is it that we want to accomplish everyone might be working at different time periods or asynchronously but as long as we're achieving our goals that becomes much more important than if you're in front of your computer from 9 to 5 you might need to build in some flexibility, but but shifting that and, and really leveraging the benefits of it. You know, there's research that shows that employees actually can be more productive working from home. And so that releases them to be a bit more independent and managers as well. Yeah. So I'm interested to see this when it comes out because I you know eventually all this can be over with, right? And so those gonna come out, they're gonna they're gonna be like, okay, are you you've been working remotely for two or three months, come back to office at nine to five. And I just think workers are gonna be like, okay, give me let me get this right. I've proven I can work remotely. All the RRI is done. Everything's been increased. So you want me to go ahead and come back and drive an hour to work, an hour back, and be my cubicle eight hours a day again. I just I think this may be like a shift coming up. I mean, I could be wrong, but it's, I just like how yeah. it plays out. Yeah, and I think we can expect. You're absolutely right, and we can expect 
other people, others who who are eager to go back, who really did want to have that physical sort of social interaction or, you know, that just kind of, you know, not not every interaction is the same and you're having it remotely versus in person, be able to go out and, you know, have that beer afterwards or, you know, whatever it is that you that that people did in the, in in a workplace and you were all together. Um, so, yeah, it, there's going to be a mix. But I think the shift that we're seeing and we're, we're talking to a lot of companies um, who are who are, you know, startups as well as larger companies where it's been, you know, it's been incredible even when they thought that this could not work, how much it has. Google is an example. I mean, Google, uh, if you think about um, what Google started doing, you know, decades ago and then has really been followed by a lot of other companies and startups, especially in, in, in this area, um, is, has been centered around working physically in the office, right? You talk about the the food, you talk about the extracurricular, you know, all of those things were based on that mindset of you, you know, when people come together, that's where great ideas come are, are born because people are interacting, there's discourse, there's debate and great ideas and innovation comes from that. We've seen that, you know, this has been a really difficult time, but this, but, but, you know, we're all, we're all agile, we're flexible. The, the work hasn't stopped. Productivity hasn't has hasn't stopped, right? So it's really put many of these old adages on top of its head and made us relook at everything. Yeah, I mean, I think you could argue that Google had the original lockdown plan, right? Everyone was locked down <laughs> on Google. You can't leave. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it was hard. <laughs> and yeah. talk about happy hours. I mean. I mean, I see people doing Zoom happy hours. I don't care what you do. Zoom happy hours is not the same as a real happy hour, right? It's just it's nowhere. That can be nowhere close. Yeah. Go ahead, um, Candice. The key theme that we're seeing here is just the need to be flexible, the need to be able to flex, to adjust to whatever that employee needs where they feel like they can be most productive. For some, it's at home. For some, it's at work. But, but shifting it where it's not a one-size-fits-all anymore, it just it can't be. So I'm a big believer that everyone is not a good remote worker. How do you, how, when you hire somebody to be a remote worker, how do you make sure they can be a good remote worker? What kind of systems or tests should people use for that? Well, I, I think it's, you know, the conversation um, and you know, ask, asking them about experiences where they've worked from home, but focusing really on the outcomes. How do they find the right people that they need to virtually? You know, you can't tap somebody on the shoulder. How do they problem solve? How do they remove roadblocks? Um, and then, you know, setting up those really clear expectations at the beginning and then holding them to those expectations, making sure that you're getting them the resources. And it's, I think it's similar with anyone that you hire. You know, you, you, you don't always know everything when you go through the interview process. The interview process is fallible. Um, but setting up those expectations and, um, you know, adjusting if they're not able to, to be productive. But I, I don't know. I, 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 maybe I'm an optimist, but I like to think that most people want to be productive. They want to accomplish their goals. If they're not, I I doubt that it's remote working. That's the obstacle. There may be some other things that might be getting in the way that you can problem solve with them together. Okay. Um, next question. And I think, I think startups and companies do this a bad job of this. I think most companies do a bad job of training their managers, either first time managers, or online managers. And the manager thing they do like a lot of, you know, in-person work, you know, how do you, how do we fix that or can it be fixed? 
Yeah, I, I read a quote. It was, I wish I remember the source, but it was yesterday and it was to HR leaders. And it basically was HR leaders, you are only as good as your worst manager. So I like that. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> So, I mean, good managers, it's a, it's a lot of work. It's both, you know, more formal training, um, but also informal training, building out a manager community, be it a Slack community, manager mentors, where folks that are really good can be a resource as well. Um, you know, we've done a number of manager boot camps that give kind of core manager fundamentals, focusing on how do you recognize the individual motivations of individuals on your team? How do you get the most of each person realizing how distinct and unique they are? How do you set goals? You know, how do you address different scenarios? And I think that's a starting point. But manager development is ongoing and it needs to take place both from the manager's manager, from HR, and really the, the manager community. Shrav, I know you've done a lot of work with managers. What are your thoughts? Yeah, um, you know, I think selection starts with selection. Who do you, uh, who, who becomes a manager, right? So um, oftentimes what we see is, um, you know, your, your best performers, you, uh, you know, you want to, you know, sort of recognize them and you put them into management positions, whether or not they want to become managers or whether or not they have the skills or the sort of the basic sort of, you know, um, capability or, or, or competencies to be a manager. Um, so I think making sure that you're putting the right people in the in those roles uh, is 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 a really good place to start and really you know paying paying attention to that. Um, and then you know as part of some of the boot camps that Candice you were referring to, um, you know one of the things that I've seen is eye opening to a lot of managers is just how much power they hold and being able to sort of really step into that power, right? So re- to to recognize that wow in this position I'm actually in this in you know coaching someone deciding on their entire experience or most of the experience at work, helping them get to their, the next step in their career or sort of really paving their way um, to their to be their, their best selves, right? And kind of to think about that times the number of people on the team and then as the team is growing. So to kind of really own and understand what the, what the core role is, I think is important. Then comes the other parts of, you know, how do you hold your team accountable? How do you sort of, you know, create a vision and, and sort of purpose for your team? All the, all the reasons that employees love to come to work. Um, but a lot of it is kind of focused, centered on what is the main thing you are expected or the space you're holding as a manager. And then building on that, managers need feedback, you know, just like employees need feedback. And so, you know, we've worked with companies that are rolling out upward feedback systems so that the employees can be giving the manager feedback so that peer managers can be giving the manager feedback as well. No one is a good manager from day one. It, it takes time. It's a skill that you have to develop. You have to be willing to invest in that employee and giving them that feedback. But also at the end of the day, if somebody's not a good manager, you got to take it away from them. Um, and that's hard. Those are hard conversations. Unfortunately, we both have had to have those. But you're not helping anyone out if, if there's a bad manager on the team that actually can be really destructive for the team. So being willing to make some hard decisions if someone's not growing into that role. And you think part of is like the person like, suppose I promoted John to be a manager. John, John's working out. If I say, hey, you're not a good manager, that's like me admitting that I made a mistake, right? I think a lot of people are not willing to do that, are they? 
yeah, you're right. Or they're like, no one else can fill this role. Or, you know, I don't, I don't want them to leave the company. Um, if we shift them into an, an individual contributor role, there's a number of different reasons and excuses. But at the end of the day, the, the damage, I mean, we've all seen this, the damage can be worse than keeping them in that role. So yeah, that the manager's manager's got to be humble. They've got to realize that they're making a mistake as well if they, if they don't make a change. So for the startups you work with, is it founders coming to you directly for help or do like startups, board of advisors and board of directors come to you and say, Hey, I need to refer you to the startup founder. They need help with the HR. How's that work for y'all? It comes from various sources. Sometimes it's the CEO. Sometimes it's the head of HR. Um, we will often work with a company where they just receive some funding and the head of HR is growing their team and, and they can't hire fast enough or they, they need some folks who've done performance management or leadership development. They'll reach out to us. Sometimes it's a connection through a VC firm or through even through a board as well. So, or other consultants who know our work and, and know what, what our focus is. So it comes from a number of different sources. And you're mainly focused on the Bay Area or you're nationwide? Very open, yeah. Um, I think we, we, tend, we tend to, um, uh, you know, be more focused here, but we're absolutely open. We work with companies that have that have offices globally as well, right? Um, and and oftentimes we, we'll get tapped on when they are trying to be in other locations as well, sort of help them scale and grow. Um, but we have clients not, that are based yeah. in Boston and New York and yeah. um, their yeah. headquarters. So, and now that things are more remote, it's opening up even more opportunities yeah. to, to work distributively. Yeah. In the two of you, talk about your entrepreneurial journey a little bit more. Our journey as entrepreneurs? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's right. We're founders as well, right, Shrav? <laughs> we are. <laughs> um, I'm going to throw this one to Shrav. <laughs> that's interesting. I was going to say Candice because Candice started before me um, as an entrepreneur. But um, yeah, no, you know, it's been really, it's been, it's been really interesting for me. So I just to kind of a little bit of um, for the background. So um, after being at Google, I went to Coursera to head up um, their people function um, there and build out their people function and sort of help Coursera scale. Um, and when I did that, I I knew that. I wanted to, like, as I said in the beginning, you know, um, wanted to take what we had learned at Google to add to other, other companies, other startups. Um, and Coursera was a very sort of, you know, great first step for me. But when I was there, uh, it was, you know, it was a very, it was, you know, a very rapid, rapid time. And we did so much great work and I learned so much. But I've had the bug to take that even further. How can we, how can I multiply? I just love that process of going in and really helping other companies transform and grow and, and, and building out some of this infrastructure early. Um, and um, so, you know, as soon as, you know, and it felt like as soon as we, you know, decided that we want to do this together, Candice had been doing uh, work with startups prior to me um, um, leaving Coursera and then we decided to join forces and start doing this work um, with, with, with startups sort of almost force multiply our ability to touch a lot of companies and people and employee experiences um, and you know it, it's been it's been great it's uh, it's it's felt like you know we work with a lot of different industries and and sizes and stages of companies sometimes it's with directly with you know with the founder where they really don't even have any sort of you know real sort of you know uh, people infrastructure in place and other times it's been 
where they have some, but now they're looking to scale it. Um, but it's it's been really it's been fascinating and really interesting, at least to me, coming from you know years at Google, where one of the things um, about Google, well, you know, you kind of get lost in just kind of how much there is to do inside the company. Um, even though we were in Silicon Valley, we felt like we were almost like in our own bubble. But stepping out of that and learning very quickly about all these different uh, mindsets and companies and founders and um, boards and VC firms. I mean, it's just been an incredible journey so far. And then, of course, 2020 happened. And now, you know, it's like every week, it's something new, right? It's now, you know, it's like, how do we deal with mental health and COVID? And, you know, uh, how do we help companies cope and employees cope with that to remote? And then, you know, and then this week is different. So it's been it's been really, really amazing and, and fast for me. And we've had to pivot. I mean, COVID-19, we had clear plans for 2020. You know, we spent Q1 really thinking about scaling. Um, and then COVID-19 hit. And, um, you know, the, the conversation was, how can we best help companies right now? Because, you know, contracts were put on hold. Work we were planning to do with them completely shifted. And so how can we provide the biggest value? And so it's keeping us on our toes, for sure. Yeah, uh, for me, like I have my own startup and like we started like to fundraise and you like get customers right when it hit, right? So obviously that's been a big, you know, I mean, it, it is what it is, right? So I worked through it. And I remember it was on Facebook a while ago, somebody put, you know, 2020 is what we, everyone thought the year 2000 was going to be. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah. So go back to your first days entrepreneur, right? I'm an entrepreneur now. I'm going to do a startup. So what is a preconceived conception you have about being an entrepreneur that you found out was wrong? Um, wow, that was about three years ago. Um, I, I it, it's a lot of work. I mean, there, there's, there's, there's the product that you offer, the service that you offer. There's all the administrative stuff. There's the ongoing relationship building. Um, I mean, I, I know we both worked a lot when we were at Google and, and Travis at Coursera. But I, I, I think I work harder now, but it's in different ways. It's stretching me to build out different types of skills and things that I had never done before. And I'm learning what I'm definitely not good at. And there's a lot of things that I'm not good at. Um, but it's, it's, it's a hustle. It's ongoing. Um, and I don't, I don't think that I had realized how much of that it would be. Um, yeah. What about you, Shrav? Yeah, I mean, and, you know, that's the kind of the, the full spectrum, right? We we came into this, or I came into this, thinking of myself as more as as an as a subject matter expert, someone who wants to sort of really, you know, like spread what I what I had learned, right? But I hadn't fully thought about thought it through enough to think, oh yeah, but that also included like BD and sales and like thinking about pricing and pricing models and, you know, and then, oh, and of taxes. course, like and, and, and <laughs> <laughs> accounting and like, yeah, invoice. I mean, all the things, right. Um, um, and at the same time, doing the work yourself, right. So like, being able to sort of go out there and be the face of your company and then coming back and, you know, and doing the work yourself and, you know, producing and yeah, it's, 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 it's a lot and it's exhilarating, frankly, to me. I think it was fun that people would tell you, you should focus on marketing. You know, all the market people focus on marketing, (laughs) all the tax people focus on taxes. Like I can't focus on everything. Right. Like it's exactly. possible. Yeah. Yeah. And what I think I laugh too, like for people like, like I'm gonna start a business because I don't want a boss anymore. 
while your employees going to be a boss, your customer is your <laughs> boss, you know, like I, I'm tired of working 40 hours a week. Okay. Now you're going to work 80 hours a week, right? <laughs> oh, oh, actually. Yeah. And then let's talk about vacation. Like, thank goodness. You know, we're, we're the two of us um, that we can you know, tag team, but the whole concept of vacation has has gone away, right? <laughs> yeah, like my vacation, like once a week, I'll, I'll drink a beer from two to four somewhere. You're right. <laughs> That's my my weekly vacation, a two hour beer break. Yeah, I find that when there's like administrative paperwork stuff, we both are like, "Do you want to take this? No, do you want to take this?" <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So, in your experience so far, what do you found that startup founders are getting wrong about HR? I think the default for HR, and this is just kind of the history of HR, is the focus that it feels, I think the perception is it's about compliance. And that's the lowest common denominator where I think HR and organizational development can really help companies build the culture, the norms, the practices, the people that they want. And I, and I, and I don't, believe that many HR or many founders realize that partnership, that potential there and having the right partner. And they think it's just about compliance and checking the box. Um, yeah. What about you, Shrav? Yeah. I mean, I think, um, you know, by 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 default, founders and, and, and CEOs, they tend to be really good at what the thing that they do, right? The product. And that's where their mindset is all the time and where it should be. It's not, it's not that it's not very often or not as often as we would like to see where they also start thinking about the company they want to build. Right. And um, I think and getting and being able to hold both of those in parallel, I think, is where uh, is the sweet spot. Right. Because at the end of the day, you are building a company that then is, you know, for the, on, for the sake of in service to the product that you are so passionate about. The two things I hear a lot is one, we only have like five employees. You don't need HR yet. Or we don't have 10 employees. HR yet. Or what I get a lot too is like, we're not hiring no one right now. I don't need HR is what I hear a yeah. lot. Yeah. And what does that, yeah. What does that really mean even, right? Because <laughs> HR is so much more than just that. Exactly what you're saying, Jason. <laughs> so to expand on that, can you two talk about how expensive HR is? I, I don't think people realize everything involved in HR. Oh, wow. I mean, just, I mean, fundamental, there's the foundational things if you think about compliance and hiring, but there's also, I mean, there's, there's your entire people strategy. Like what's the leadership team? Who's leading what components? What are, what are the strengths of the leaders that you need? How are the, how's the leadership team interacting? How are they developing the goals um, to building out managers and leaders in the organization? How are you, you know, building out succession planning and how are you really helping folks reach their full potential to employees and performance and development um, to communication and, and managing through change as things are shifting um, compensation. I and mean, it's, it's, we could go on. Do you want to do, you really want to ask this question? <laughs> it's, it's, the it's the entire, it's the entire employee life cycle, right? From when you receive that resume Right. However, you receive it to when you conduct the ex exit interview and beyond, because they are taking your brand outside even once they've left. So yeah, it's it's everything, really. Yeah, I, argue, I would argue HR is the only business uh, part that touches every part of the employee's life cycle, right? From beginning. Absolutely. To end. 
Absolutely. And, and every employee, you know, um, in, uh, when I was at Coursera, one of the things that was became really real, that was, the, you know, my first time being, being head, of, head of HR, right, of a, of a whole company. And it became really, really real to me that the HR, the HR leader and the CEO are the only two people in the entire company who touches every single employee, every single employee, whether, and, and you know, whether it's um, full-time, part-time, whatever the equation might be, um, candidates, you know, when they're not even, when they're not even employees. Yeah. Talk, talk about the points of having a bench. For example, I'm opinion that for every employee you have, you set at least two or three people in mind to take that person's place, right? Cause you never know when they're going to quit or they have to leave. You sort of, I think you sort of have like in your mind, okay, my marketing person is great. But if they have to leave, I'm going to reach out to these two people. Can you talk about the importance of doing that? I think too many companies, you know, my marketing person left. Man, let me go on Indeed and find someone. And it's, but then it's too late, right? Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, yes, it's, it's, it's critically important to always think about how, whether, whether they're leaving, whether they're moving to a different role, whether they are, the, the role is expanding or, you know, something else, right? So how do you constantly keep that, the talent pool flowing so that you're a, able to help people leave, whether it's moving on and kind of succeeding somewhere else or moving on within the company, they're able to leave and you're and, and others therefore have a place to go. So not necessarily looking externally first, but looking internally. Do you have the, you know, who are you, who are you developing to take on the next role? Um, and, but then at the same time, making sure they are not only you know, so to kind of to to balance what you said, Jason, you're not only thinking about who do I know, right? Whether again, it's internally or externally, because you want to broaden your your net. You want to sort of you want to make sure they are not thinking only about the people you know, because more, more likely than not, they're probably just like you or like the people that are already on your team. So you want to have a more diverse um, sort of um, outreach. Um, so always think, you know. Always be hiring, always be recruiting, always be thinking about how you're making sure you're putting your company and yourself out there um, to, to touch a lot of people, whether it's, you know, through events or, you know, LinkedIn or however else. And to build on that, on the topic of inclusion that you were hitting on, Shrav, is I think sometimes managers perceive that somebody might not be interested in taking on a role if it opens up. And so that may filter out a large audience. And that could be a growth opportunity for, you know, a woman they might be like overlooking or an underrepresented minority. So as a position opens up, you may have an idea of who you think the right person is, but really open it up broadly to this team and see who, who might be interested. Um, and sometimes folks might, they might not be ready today, but they might be ready in two to three months. And so investing that time to help them grow into the role, um, you're going to have a committed employee and you may have a very different perspective, which is important as well. One thing, let's talk about the candidate process. So right now, I, I think a lot of companies are having a missed opportunity. Like suppose you have an opening and we'll say 50 people apply, right? I think normally people will like, you know, they might call back 10 of them. So 40 of them, they have no call, no email. I just think, I mean, you have 50 eyeballs on your website, right? I think that's a dismissed market opportunity for your company as far as employer branding. Like, what's wrong, Adam? You know, ask them, can, you, can I do my email list? Can we tip touch with you? I think too many companies like, well, these didn't make the cut and, you know, put them in the black hole, whatever. I'm actually able to do it on purpose, but still, right? I think that's a missed opportunity for a lot of companies. Absolutely, yeah. Um, I mean, 
you know, your employee employer brand is your brand, right? And, um, you, you know, you can't think about it any different from your marketing brand, or your marketing work, right? So oftentimes you're right. Companies don't think about it. That way. Companies don't think about um, candidates also being consumers or customers or, you know, or future employees, right? So um, it's, it's critically important to pay attention to that candidate experience. Um, and, you know, at every touch point, yes, application, which is the first one, you know, to example, um, and making sure there is some sort of feedback loop, um, oftentimes given volume, you know, that initial feedback loop tends to be sort of automated, right, to have that system in place where you can at least acknowledge. And then when, you know, the, 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 the system itself is sort of when you close out the resume, um, you know, gives, you know, kicks out a, a, a something that says that your resume is now closed out for this role, but, you know, come back in, in you know, for future roles. Um, but then, keeping that amount of rigor at every step of the process, right? Whether it's, you know, you're doing a phone screen or, you know, and so on and so forth, making sure that you're not only circling back, but also um, being clear about, you know, what, 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 what that means because of this particular role. And then the deeper one, the more one engages with your company during the process, being really good about feedback, thinking about having that mindset of, uh, of, you know, being able to help that person for the future, whether it's your company or somewhere else, um, recruiting teams that we've worked with, you know, we really kind of build that in around the feedback loops, um, whether it's automated or um, whether it's sort of in person. Um, and then, you know, we've all, we always recommend after a certain point, it has to be a phone call. It just can't be an automated response. So, yes, your employer brand is, is, is very, 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 very uh, crucial um, in everything that you do. If I could expand on employer brand, I mean, beyond the hiring process, but I think right now, Jason, companies are having an opportunity to either improve or not their brand. I mean, when when we think about how COVID-19 is impacting companies, there are many companies that are having to lay off or furlough employees. That's how it is. But how you do it, if you do it humanely, empathetically, as holistically as possible, says a lot about you as a company and how you value your employees. You know, are you, are you making, there's so many steps that companies can take, you know, cutting non-essential costs across the board, having leadership teams take costs, different steps they can take before they actually lay off and furlough employees. And then ultimately when they need to, you know, how are they communicating this? What are they doing to help support the employees that are impacted and leveraging their network and helping them find other jobs and roles? I think is super key. And there, you know, there, there's a lot of chatter now. We're talking with a lot of companies, some that are doing it well and some that are not doing it well. So when the economy turns and they're going to go back and wanting to hire folks, this is going to be part of their brand and it's going to be harder. You know, and another thing much more real time is how are employee, how are companies standing up in solidarity against the racial injustices that are we are reminded of? Um, but not just, you know, standing in solidarity about improving external systems of injustice, but what are they doing internally as a company to hold themselves accountable? And are they, are there, is there systemic, um, disparities within their company, be it through their processes or their programs through hiring, through performance management, through promotion as well. So, you know, employees are really holding their companies accountable as they should to the quality of their overall experience and how they're being treated as employees across 
the board, both COVID-19, but also the racial injustices that we're seeing today. Yeah, and back to the layoffs. I think a lot of companies are doing wrong. I think a lot of companies follow the thing, you know, last hired, first fired, right? But is that the way you do it? So it be based on production of the person is given, right? Instead of like what the data hire, I think a lot, a lot of companies are doing that wrong. Yeah, I mean, last in, first out, these are, yeah, these uh, or, or purely based on sort of their last performance um, rating, you know, the, I mean, having one sort of single thing um, usually falls flat, right? So having a more holistic approach to, you know, how, you know, how you come, how you come to those decisions. Um, often it's, you know, what is functional, sort of it's a business decision, right? Because this, these skill sets are, are no longer needed at the volume that you have, right? So therefore we, you know, the company is being forced to think about how do we, um, how how do we sort of manage that, um, you know, um, redistribution of, of what's needed, what, what the work that needs to get done. Um, performance is definitely a factor, but only if you've had in place objective me- me- mechanisms to, you know, to rate performance, right? So, um, yeah, it's tricky. It's never, it's, it's not never one single thing. Um, and that's, you know, part of all, you know, something that companies don't, don't understand. They kind of think of it very much as sort of a legal pr- pr- perspective or only uh, you know, uh, like you said, like first and um, last and first out, um, it has to be much more holistic. So I have a theory, and tell me if you agree or disagree. So I think right now in HR, there's a there's a HR of no, HR of old versus the HR of yes, and HR of um, of new. So old HR is like you know they only work nine to five, all about compliance, everything's black and white. Um, if you ask them, hey, do you hear someone so leaving marketing? I don't run marketing. That's not a concern of mine. Or, hey, HR person, uh, this employee needs to talk to you, but I can't come and talk for five. Well, I'll leave at five, so I don't want to sell him. Or they work, or they work at some kind of production factory. They ever go down the floor, right? If someone brings an idea to actually improve stuff, well, if I this is a great idea, but it means more work for me, so I'm not gonna do it. Not gonna do it. So new HR is more like you know, they're on the floor, they know everything going on in the company. They believe in compliance, but they try to you know work, try to find a way. Yes. And a better example, like old HR, like suppose that you have an employee, best employee you have for 10 years, but you have a policy that says if someone misses work for three days, you don't know where they're at, you have to fire them, right? And so old HR, the policy says we haven't heard from three days to fire them. New HR is more like, okay, the policy says we're going to fire them, but at least find out what's wrong with them, right? Maybe had an accident, right? How do you how do you think we switch from old HR, so to speak, to new HR? Because I think a lot of HR people are still stuck in the old HR ways. The Can we throw out another option? I would like not just new HR, but the future of HR. An HR leader should be looking six months down the road, two years down the road of where is the company going? How are we building? You know, what are the skills that we need to get there? How are we building our company? both the culture to be dynamic and the skill sets to get us there. So it's not just today or tomorrow. It's down the road and, and really having that close collaboration with the leaders to understand the business. Like good HR leaders, I know the best I know really get the business. They know what the business needs are. And then they're thinking about the people to get the business there. That's, that's a great point. And whenever like, people say, how can I get an HR job? I say, well, don't get an HR job. Pick a business you, you want to work in and learn that business first. And we're narrowed down. Great idea. Absolutely. Yeah. So I understand you ought to have a gift for our listeners. 
Yeah, you know, we both, um, we, we are HR folks to our core, and we know this is a really challenging time right now um, to really support our employees, our leaders in, in every way possible. So we are doing free consultations. Feel free to reach out to us. Our website is peoplerunway.team. You can contact us there. We're happy to, to jump on a call and talk through any challenges that you might be confronting, and we can share you know, what we're seeing others do, um, best practices, and just try to help you navigate right now. I mean, there's no roadmap on how to work through COVID-19. We also see a really great opportunity to employ and to improve the employee experience and increase um, representation and fair and fairness within the, the workforce. And so if you're working through your organization and how to improve some of your processes, we're happy to talk through and help you figure out how you might do that. And can you two share your social media links for both yourself and your company so people can reach out to you? LinkedIn is probably the best way to reach out to us. Um, and then also our website is peoplerunway.team. And to our listeners, we'll have the links to everything on our show notes. And you can find the show notes at www.cabinetshoblog.com. So talk about numbers and data. How is that important to HR? Because it kills me when HR person says, I don't do numbers. I don't do data. I, I just want to like <laughs> flip out, right? Like, <laughs> like, what do you mean? Like, how is this possible? Like, I mean... To me, yes. HR is nothing but data, right? I think it's both. But yeah, Shrav, you take this one. We were just talking about this yesterday. <laughs> I yes, I know. Um, yeah, so I have the same reaction as you, Jason. Um, that is not that is not a thing at all. And um, it's it's a myth that that, uh, that absolutely needs to be busted. Um, no, it, so HR is, you know, it's it's everything. Um, it is about the data. If you know, data I mean, data is behind everything, including HR, including people, including how you run a company. Um, if you don't know what 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 the what the data is saying, then you won't know how to make any progress. You you know you won't be able to. And then how do you how do you know if you're making progress if you can't measure it, right? So, um, being able to having having the the mindset and capability to collect data and then use it effectively is the only way that we can um, change, grow our companies, scale our companies, make progress, um, you know, towards a better business, whatever it is that our goals are. Um, so data is absolutely important. Um, it starts with knowing who your people are, what are your demographics. Um, uh, we're surprised that there are companies that um, kind of walk that line between, you know, we don't want to, we don't necessarily want to sort of feel, be intrusive um, to, and ask questions that company, that people may not be comfortable sharing. But it's not that at all. That, you know, the mindset is that if I know you, then I can help. If I know you, then I can stand in support, right? So collecting data, um, starting with demographics is, is, is absolutely critical. And then going from there, understanding what is our, you know, starting with the, the, the at the beginning um, of the employee life cycle, so to speak, what does our candidate pool look like? Who's passing through it at, at what rates? How does the employee experience look like? How is it different for, um, you know, people in different, it's not, and, it's, and it is very important around, you know, um, um, groupings of, you know, minority or race and all of those different demographics, but also by department, by location, by, you know, uh, level, like name it, right? So, yes. To answer your question, um, it, data is data is all important and very very critical to doing good HR work. 
But if I could build on that, once you have the data, then what's the story behind the data? So if you've got high attrition in pockets of your company, why? You know, why are people leaving? Is it the manager? Is it their lack of psychological safety? Like what's driving that? So I wouldn't just, and I'm a numbers person, so Charles probably laughing because I'm saying this, but you know, really <laughs> understanding behind the story behind the data so that you can make even more targeted and intentional decisions to improve it and turn things around. So I, I think I think it's both, but I, I love to start with the data and then and then understand the story that's wrapped around it. And I'm the opposite, right? So I look at, I, I look at, you know, we're both sort of, we're, that's why we make a great team because it's like, you know, the forest and the trees. One of us, you know, we, we each come, come at it from a different perspective, but we come together. Uh, but this, but yes, absolutely. It's, it's, you know, what's happening, understanding and understanding at a meta level, understanding what might be behind it and then being able to address it more in a much more targeted, focused way. So let's talk about Generation Z for a minute. So Generation Z, I believe, is the first generation group completely with technology, right? With cell phones, TikTok, Snapchat, you know, instant access, you know, all that kind of stuff. How does HR, you know, transform or whatever they got to do to make sure they support this new generation and what they need or what they want, either as employees or owners or whatever the case may be? Because I think a lot of, you know, Generation Z, they're going to expect to apply for jobs online, get updates online. I mean, I mean on their cell phone, whatever the case may be. How does HR make the transition? Or is the HIV even, even capable of making that transition? Well, we don't have a we don't have a choice, right? Um, if you don't if you don't if you don't change and uh, and evolve, then we're all dinosaurs. So, um, so yes, there's you know we have to we have to change and evolve to um, meet the generation where they are. You know, I have a 15 year old in my house, so I I live with it every day. Um, and but but the way we've seen it. Uh, we've already seen where HR is moving and shifting is to make everything much more online, much more, you know, um, sort of um, app based, um, you know, whether it's whether it's feedback. We talked about feedback and performance um, a little a little while ago where there are uh, mechanisms for feedback that are, that are app based and much more, you know, um, suitable for some employees, but not necessarily others. So I think it's kind of, again, taking into account the, the spectrum of your employee base and having more than one way of of doing things right so sometimes sometimes in person or a live conversation um, you know and I, when I say live or in person I mean including video a conversation is much more is much more um, acceptable to one set of employees and another is you know give me an app and give me you know faces that I'll that I'll click on right so um, so yeah I think being being agile and being open um, um, is is really important, and and in all of this, I think speed. You know, one of the things that Gen- Generation Z, like I'm, sort of, you know, just, just in awe at the amount and capacity of, cons- you know, that they have to consume and act and move. I mean, it's just incredible, right? The processing speed has like has increased at a higher rate than the processing speed of computers. It seems like, right? So, um, so, <laughs> so yes. So being, so knowing who your audience is and being able to, so to keep up is, is critical. So we'll come to the end of our talk. Can you two give us any advice on wisdom or any, on any subjects you want to talk about? Uh, well, you know, honestly, top of mind for us right now this week has been um, employee experience um, in so many different ways. And, you know, this has come out in our conversation where you know, companies are really 
defining themselves on how they're treating their employees through the COVID-19 crisis, being flexible and supportive and, and providing, um, being flexible in, in when folks are, are working and what those expectations might be based on people that are dire- directly and indirectly impacted by COVID-19. Um, but also, you know, being flexible and recognizing, um, you know, the, the reminder of the systemic racial injustices that are happening and the impact that it's having on employees as well. Um, and, and, and taking a stand in solidarity, um, but also looking internally as, a, as an organization and, and how can you be better as an organization addressed address issues internally also. Um, so I just, I think it's been a tough time, but I think this is also an opportunity to see change, a shift for improvement. And ultimately companies, we believe, can improve the employee experience, but they've got to be intentional and they've got to be thoughtful in how they approach it. Yes, and so let me backtrack for a minute. I forgot to answer this question. Can you two talk about how you started a company and how, what, what your company does, what your vision for your company is? Oh, you take yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> um, sure. You know, I, I mean, I think we did, we did, we did um, reference it a little bit when, in the beginning when we were talking about our passion for making the employee experience better. And that shows up in, you know, in everything that we do. Um, and that's kind of the lens that we use, right? So, um, as you know, so we, we want to help companies scale transform um, pivot the way they they need to and while they're doing that we want to make sure that we are um, offering our skills and uh, and what we've learned through the span of our careers of how to make that experience of their employees much better at work we all spend so much time at work and to to and, and having been at Google for the both of us for so many years just understanding the importance of employee experience and seeing that it's not the same and everywhere else um, has been really, you know, a, a great, um, has been eye-opening for us. So we want to take that and and bring it to as many companies as possible. How you do that in a more, in a, in a sort of specific, uh, concrete way is through intentionally curating your culture, intentionally putting in place your people infrastructure, whether it's processes that start with compliance, you know, what you pay attention to in your compliance um, regulations or, you know, you know, those aspects, that's, that, as- that aspect, how do you craft your employee handbook? All of these are forming the foundation for the company you're going to build uh, into the future and sort of putting in place. Um, we, are, we are called people runway, actually, because you're kind of building the runway for flight, right? Um, and, and flight doesn't always have to mean, you know, going from a 10-person, 100-person company to 10, uh, you know, a hundred thousand person company. That doesn't, that's not the only way of thinking about flight. Flight is what, you know, why do you exist and where do you want to go? And we want to be there to help you get there. Thank you very much. So any, any last, last, last uh, minute things you want to talk about? Um, no, I mean, just reiterating, you know, what Candace said earlier about our offer, you know, we uh, want to be here for as many people as possible. Um, we're, we're offering our time. That's, you know, we, we talked about it um, um, between the two of us. How, how do you, you know, how do we, how, how are we uniquely positioned to help the best we can? And we concluded that out of all of the skills we have <laughs> and the way and, and what we know, um, the, what we do know is to help companies get through times of, you know, difficult times, times of, um, of change. Um, and um, we are offering our time and we hope 
and look forward to people reaching out and, and sharing with us. Yes, I want to thank the two of you for your time today. I really appreciate it. Thank, thank you, Jason. You. This has been fun. Yeah. Take care. <laughs> and to our listeners, thank you for your time as well. Remember to be great every day. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Jason Kavnis Experience. Be sure to connect with us across social media at Kavnis HR. Thank you, and remember to be great every day. Don't you know, pump it up, you've got to pump it up, don't you know, pump it up, you've got to pump it up, don't you know, pump it up, you've got to pump it up, don't you know, pump it up, you've got to pump it up.